Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the goodness that you've given to us. I thank you that out of your love and mercy and grace, you've revealed yourself to us. And I thank you, Father God, that we have opportunity this morning to fellowship together, to look at your word, and to be encouraged with our fellowship with one another. And I ask, Father God, that as we look at this fabulous passage in Genesis, that you would remind us of how great you are and how amazing your love for us is. Thank you, Father God. In Christ's name, amen. We're continuing our series that we're, we're calling Foundations of the Gospel, and we've come to the third chapter of Genesis. God has proclaimed everything good, and, and that good, it, it literally in the Hebrew is very good. He says it, it was very good. And if God says it's very good, His very good, we would have to then probably define that as perfection. There was no death. There's no dysfunction, no decay, no flaw. And there were, there were only two laws. There were only two things that He, he re- required of Adam and Eve. Populate the earth and don't eat from the tree of life. Life would have been really incredibly good. That law to abstain from the tree of life was given to Adam directly by God. God actually spoke to Adam. And when that occurred, Eve Eve hadn't even been created yet. She she wasn't there. It's an interesting fact that we kind of need to kind of tuck away as we look at the rest of this chapter. We know that God gave this this law to Adam, and then he fashions Eve from Adam's rib, and they begin to enjoy this incredible life in the garden. And part of that incredible life was that they had direct access to God. Uh, So so on a daily basis, we have some, you know, it, it appears that on a daily basis, they could see God and commune with God, talk with God. They were involved with him. Now, let's, let's go on. Let's begin. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And this begins the deception. Now, let's start with the serpent. Serpent is from Nachash, and it means literally snake. That's its literal meaning in Hebrew. Satan indwelt the serpent to communicate with Eve. This means that that word serpent in this chapter refers to a literal snake, a serpent, and it refers to Satan. The connection this way is also seen in how Satan is portrayed in Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan is portrayed in Scripture as an angel. Angels are created beings. We need to keep that in mind. They were created by God. So Satan is a created being. 
Ezekiel 28 describes him as the angel Lucifer, a guardian cherub. Uh, 28, 12, or 14. You are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. We believe that that Satan had a very high position, guardian cherub. He was right there at the throne of God. And, And in this very high position, he was also this marvelous creature that God had created And in his pride, he falls. And that pride, if you look in in Ezekiel and in in Isaiah, you discover that his pride is his desire to be God, to be equal to God or even better than God. So he's, he's puffed up with pride. And because of that, God throws him out of heaven. That's where we start in chapter 3. This creature that has been thrown out of heaven who's in rebellion against God. It's interesting, in in Genesis, God spoke directly to Adam. Satan spoke directly to Eve. I don't want any of what I go through this morning to make any of you feel like women are of less value because of what Eve did. Adam and Eve were created to have different roles. Did she make a mistake? Yeah, but Adam made a bigger mistake. We'll see that. It isn't that women are weaker or less valuable or less intelligent. But it's obvious in this passage that Satan's strategy is deception. And his goal was for Eve, through that deception to reject God. To do this, he tells the first recorded lie. And Satan is a liar. Uh, Jesus said in, in John eight forty four, Jesus says, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, speaking of, of the devil. And he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan has not changed. There are two fundamental things that Satan lies about. One is the character of God. He is continually lying about the character of God. And the other is the truth and veracity of God's Word. He continues to this day lying about those same two things. This lie in the garden, it was subtle. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree? The deception was to get Eve to assume that she could question the truthfulness of God. This is where all temptation begins. It doesn't matter what our temptation is. It's very much in the same, it it forms in the same way. We, We get tempted when we get the idea that we can evaluate God's word, that that we can evaluate his standards and his nature. 
Let's go on in verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So she's got it pretty much right. And she also adds, You shouldn't even touch it. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and, <clears throat> excuse me, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's this conversation going on, and the deception intensifies as Satan clearly questions God's nature. I mean, what he's really saying is, what, what if God is holding things back? What if God is keeping us from the best things? It's the same message that he gives today. What if, he's, what if he's really holding some things back from us, things that would really make us feel good and be happy? And then he adds another one which would have, you know, played with her mind, and it, it's a reality of today as well. And he says, you will be like God. That was then and is now a powerful thought. We can be God. Wow. Now, I know in, in my home, I, I irritate my sons very often because they'll come to me as they were growing up and they would say things and, and they'd ask, well, Dad, why do you want that? And I'd say, because I am sovereign in my home. And by the way, that didn't go over real big with them. But the opportunity for us to be God? What, I mean, wouldn't you love that? And this is what the Buddhists promise. It, it's what the Mormons promise. And it's what most false religions promise. If you do these things, if you follow these constraints or these rules, you can be God. That's the lie. And it's appealing. And it appeals to our pride and our selfishness. The lie is God is keeping you from being like Him. He's holding good things back. He's limiting your freedom and happiness. And that freedom part is a real important aspect, I think, in what Satan's doing with Eve. Because God is saying, don't do that one thing, and that means she doesn't have total freedom. He must be holding something back. And we, we know because of what transpired that Eve is, is intrigued because maybe the, the one law is not really meant for her good. It's just like today. We don't follow God's plan for life because we think we could have something better or we could be happier without the restraints of, of His law and His standards. Satan brings God's nature into question. His ultimate lie is there will not be any judgment for sin. That's the ultimate outcome. If you follow what Satan says, there's not going to be any judgment. Satan wants to eliminate the restraint God has imposed so people will follow him instead of God. He wants Eve to think God is depriving her of something delightful. He wants Eve to think there's something greater than God to delight in. Satan wants 
Eve to think he has her best interest in mind because he's not restrictive. He wants her and he wants us, when he lies to us, to be free. No bondage, no rules. What is occurring is Satan is twisting God's goodness. Adam and Eve had paradise. They had everything God declared as very good. Everything. They had the greatest delight possible of a relationship, a personal relationship with God Himself. Nothing could have been better. There was nothing that could be better than having that that relationship with God. And all of what God had given them was perfect. But Satan lies. And God suddenly looks to Eve as if God had a bad streak. There's some things about God that aren't quite good. And in that deception, Satan succeeds. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, my mind goes, goes to this place every time I read this passage. Where, where in the world was Adam? What, what, this conversation's going on and, and when, in verse 6 it says that her husband who was with her, so was he with her during the whole conversation? Where was he? Where was Adam when Eve needed him the most? We're never told. We don't know. We don't know what Adam was doing while Satan was lying to his wife. But we also know that Adam wasn't deceived. And and we know that because if we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, God tells us that Adam wasn't deceived. 1 Timothy 2, 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It's pretty obvious. Adam was not deceived, but he ate the forbidden fruit, so, so he sinned. Eve was deceived and guilty of sinning against God. But God holds Adam accountable, not Eve. We see this in passages numerous places. One of those is 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam was held accountable in a different way than Eve. Eve was deceived by the serpent and is guilty. Adam is guilty, but he's held to a higher standard because God's order was for Adam to be the leader and the head of his family. God has designed a structure of things, a structure of of human order. And he's given specific roles within his creation. One of the places we see that is in the proper understanding of marriage. 1 Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. 
It isn't that women are less valuable. It's that they have a different role. And in Genesis, God holds Adam responsible by his perfect design. God's perfect design shows us that Adam is the one who should have, you know, I don't like snakes. I I don't know how many of you, I I have a daughter who kind of likes snakes. She's a zoologist. Okay. My sons like snakes. I don't like snakes. I kill them on sight. I've found them in my garden on numerous occasions, and they always die. There's a reason why God has established certain things. He has a design. Why didn't Adam kill that snake? If I find a snake in my garden, I decapitate the snake. Where was Adam? That was his role. Eve was deceived, but Adam was rebellious. There's a difference. It's an important one. This rebellion against God then becomes a human trait through Adam. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so, all, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That, that sin is rebellion. God says one thing and what do we do? No, wait, man. We rebel. That's part of our nature. Thanks, Adam. Verse 7. There's consequences. In verse 7, we start the understanding of the consequences. Let me read this passage. It's a little bit long, but think through this carefully. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is one of the passages that's really important to understand. They knew God was going to show up. And it, and it looks like in this text that God walked in the garden every day. So they had this, this interaction with God every day. And so God shows up in the garden. And what do they do? They ran and hid from him. That's part of the rebellion. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God knew. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Do you see the rebellion? I'm not going to take responsibility for my sin. I blame it on my wife. I heard somebody chuckle. Be real careful, brother. (laughs) Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. She doesn't take responsibility for her deception. She doesn't take responsibility for her sin. 
Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The fall of Adam and Eve that's described in this passage affected more than just humanity. It affected more than just the relationship that humanity has with God. All of creation was affected. From the moment of the fall, animals changed. Plant life changed. Weather changed. Now there was disease, death, decay, conflict, turmoil, pain, and suffering. Paradise is now broken. You want to know where all of the terrible things that we experienced started? Right here. It's broken. Why is there cancer? Because of the fall. Why are there terrible storms that wipe out millions of people? Because of the fall. Why do people groups fight against people groups? Because of the fall. Why do we just plain not get along? Because of the fall. It's the beginning of, of these consequences. But this, is a, uh, this chapter is another beginning this is actually a glorious place in Scripture because this is the beginning of God's plan of grace and, and mercy driven by His love for sinful men and women. Through the rest of the Bible, God appeals to sinners to turn away from their sins and to turn to Him. The rest of the Bible tells us of men and women who, who at one point in their life are rejecting God, rebelling against Him. And then the amazing results of hearing the gospel and hearing of God's mercy and accepting Him as who He is and accepting His merciful, gracious, loving forgiveness and being transformed. We also see through Scripture and history those who continue to be deceived by Satan and rebel against God's perfection. They're dead. And they remain dead because they are separated from God and will live in destruction for all of eternity. But we also see in Scripture and through history those who by faith accept God, seek Him, confessing their sins. They're brought to life and will live in paradise for all of eternity. This is where this gospel starts. Specifically in verse 15 we find that first mention of God's plan to redeem us from the curse of the fall. In that verse it, it, the word enmity is used. Enmity is the Hebrew ibah, and it means deep animosity between morally responsible beings. 
Deep animosity. Verse 15 also speaks of seed. It's an interesting passage because seed is followed by the pronoun he. So the seed is a man. The seed is unique because it is her seed. This is very vital for us to understand. There is no other place where the Bible speaks of the seed of a woman. And the reason is because the seed is in the man, not women. This unique man, then, will be born without a human father. So right here in chapter 3, verse 15, we begin to see the unique birth of Christ, the Son of God, born to the Virgin Mary. Here's where the gospel begins. Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, when this occurs, I believe Satan's there. And Adam and Eve, of course, are there. And Satan fully understands. He's fully understood this prophetic word that God has given in verse 15. Because what we also see in Scripture and in history is that Satan continually has been trying to destroy the line of the Messiah. He continually tried to end the Jewish people's existence. He tried to kill all the male children under two years of age at the time of Christ's birth. Satan tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross because he knew that the cross was the bruising that was spoken of in verse 15. You know bruising there? Bruising is a non-fatal minor wound. I've got a really nasty bruise on my shin and my grandson kept hitting it over the weekend. It just became, you know what I mean? It's a bruise and they're terrible, right? But you don't typically die from a bruise. Crushing the head is a death blow. Here we are, third chapter of the Bible, and we come to the cross. Here it is. Here it is, the marvelous sacrificial death of Jesus and the understanding that he would, he would die, He would raise from the dead because His wound would not be permanent. This also occurs before God judges Adam and Eve and reveals the consequences of sin. God announces that He announces right up front, okay, I know what you've done, I know the rebellion, I know what's happened. Here's what I'm going to do about it. He announces the plan of hope and salvation. When Christ died for our sins, Satan lost. He was defeated, totally defeated. Satan has no weapon left. His accusations of our guilt are now taken on by Christ, who propitiates and atones for our sins. And Satan can never separate believers from God as he did in the garden. Satan separated Adam and Eve from God. It can never happen to a believer. Romans 8, 37 and 39 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, have, who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus did the work. God announced the work. Genesis 3.15. There was a cost of the fall. Adam and Eve lost paradise. All of creation damaged, death, disease, decay. All of humanity will experience pain, suffering, disease, and conflict. That was the cost. What's the greatest value? Have you ever thought of the greatest value? There's a huge, enormous, incredible value to the fall. God's plan for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He conquered death. He conquered disease. He conquered decay. He bought the salvation for millions of believers for for all of eternity, those believers will glorify God in paradise regained. Terrible cost, but infinite value. Father, thank you that even though Adam and Eve sinned and fell in the garden, you had a plan. You had established a plan, a perfect plan. Father, we put our trust in you. We look to you. We acknowledge that you are who you say you are. And I thank you, Father God, that as we live out our lives, we ha have the assurance that nothing can separate us from you. And Father, anyone who doesn't know your son, help us, use us, speak through us, so that they also would be bought and purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And have opportunity to live in paradise with you. Thank you for your word, your love, and your grace. In Christ's name, amen.